Today's reading will be taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. That's Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be within the gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Good morning, church. How is your relationship with Jesus? This is a very important question for us to ask this morning because Christianity has been in constant decline around the world, specifically here in Canada. In fact, the 2011 National Household Survey that was conducted by um, Statistics Canada, and the information is on their website. So the 2011, I guess, NHS survey found that two-thirds of Canadians identified as being Christian. That's That's 22 million out of a population of 32 million. But fast forward 10 years, 2021, this last year, Uh, Statistics Canada actually posted the results two weeks ago of the 2021 Canadian census that said that that number of Canadians who profess to be Christian has dropped from 66% to 53%. So from, um, what did I say the number was? From 22 million people out of a population of 32 million to 19 million in 2021 out of a population of 36 million. So why the discrepancy? Why the change? Why the decrease in the number of Christians uh, saying that they're Christians? Well, the reason is because more and more Canadians are reporting that religious and spiritual beliefs no longer matter. And the value for them has been lost in their lives. They don't see any value at all in these things. In fact, the Pew Research um, has found, uh, you can see this on our website, um, found that two-thirds of Canadians are saying that you don't need Jesus to be a good moral person today, to have the values that you should have. So in short... More and more Canadians are saying that a relationship with Jesus is no longer of any importance. So you can appreciate that this sentiment is seeping in to Christian homes today. 
And you can appreciate that more and more people are starting to feel that way about Jesus. But today, we affirm that we do not want to feel that way about Jesus. We don't want ourselves to think like that about Jesus. So we don't want that to be in our houses, in our households, in our families. And for sure, we do not want our children to feel that way about Jesus. And so this morning, what I would like to do is I would like to encourage all of us to reinvigorate, to revive our relationship with Jesus, to grow in our relationship with him today so that it's a different story, at least in our own families and in our congregation than the rest of the world. So uh, we're going to do that today through the story of Zacchaeus. We, we sang the song. We heard the story of Zacchaeus um, from Jensen, who read us the scripture reading this morning. And so today I would like to talk to you about Zacchaeus and our relationship with Jesus. Because the story of Zacchaeus is a popular story that informs us a lot about how our relationship with Jesus should be. And so this morning, we're going to talk about three lessons that we can get from the story of Zacchaeus that will help us to grow in our relationship with Jesus. So three, three things, right? The story of Zacchaeus, like I said, was, is, is a very popular story. Many of you guys probably heard it when you were kids in Sunday school. Uh, I heard that uh, some of the teachers would have like that. I've never seen it, I don't think. The board, I think they call it the felt boards, and Zacchaeus is there, and then there's the tree, and they would put Zacchaeus on the tree. It's a very popular story. It's set in uh, the city of Jericho, and the story goes that Jesus and his disciples were, for the last time, traveling down to Jerusalem to where Jesus was eventually going to be crucified. So in passing, they're, they're, they find themselves in the city of Jericho. But at the time, Jesus was so popular. He was so popular that people would gather in the hundreds, in the thousands, just to be with Jesus, just to see Jesus. And that was what Zacchaeus wanted to do. He wanted to see Jesus, no matter the cost. And that's the first thing that I would like us to learn from the story of Zacchaeus is we want to be like Zacchaeus in that we want to do whatever it takes to see Jesus. Okay? So, but Zacchaeus had two problems going for him, or not going for him, I don't know how you want to put it, in his endeavor to see Jesus, to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Number one, there's a big crowd. And number two, he was short. Okay? Now, I know a thing or two about being short, because I'm not the tallest. I'm short, right? So I know. And I know some of you guys can relate with me on this and can relate with Zacchaeus on this, because some of you guys here are short. So I asked the people like me who are vertically challenged, what are the bad things about being short? And this is what they said. I think I'm going to say five things here. Number one, it's hard to reach in the cupboards. You guys know, you know, you have to have a stool so that you can reach things. Number two, it's hard when you walk with people like Chad. It's hard to keep up with them because they're tall and you're short and you, you want, you know, you have little pace and you have to like do more paces than them. So it's more of a workout for you than for them because they're taller than you, right? That's number two. Number three, it's hard to drive because you can't reach the pedal and look outside at the same time. So what you need to do sometimes is you need to get a phone book to sit on. 
so that you can drive properly. You know what I'm talking about. And number four, this is for me. It's hard to hug somebody that's really tall if you're really short because your cheek, instead of resting like maybe on their cheek, is resting on their belly. Like when you hug, when I hug Donald, for example, it's awkward because I'll be hugging him and I'm going, that's his, that's his belly that my cheek is against. And I look up and he's looking down on me like, what are you doing down there? Right? It's awkward. And lastly, being short, one of the bad things about being short is you can't look past the crowd. It's hard because, you know, you're like, you want to jump, but it's still not enough because they're tall. And that was the problem that Zacchaeus had. He couldn't see past the crowds. So what did he do? According to verse 4 of our text in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, what he did was he ran ahead of the crowds, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree. He ran ahead of the crowds, and he went, he climbed a sycamore fig tree. Now, we have to understand that since we're so familiar with this story, that sometimes we gloss over facts or information or details, like what Zacchaeus did to, uh, to go and see Jesus. Because, you know, we talked about, um, we talked about, um, the fact that he was short and it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a bad thing for him. But really, if you look at it in a different way, like what we said, your weaknesses could also be your strength and vice versa, right? So one of the things that we need to understand about Zacchaeus is that he turned that weakness into a strength. You know, being short has positives as well, not just negatives. So I'm gonna gi- I'm gonna give you some. I talked to some of the people that you know are vertically challenged like me as well, and I asked them what are the good things about being short. And they said number one, people think that you're younger than you are because you're shorter. They think you're younger. I know I know what that's like. Okay, I'm actually 85 years. No, I'm not. So people think that you're younger. But number two, it's also good that you're short because you can pack really lightly. Because you have smaller clothes, right? You can fit in a backpack for a weekend trip. It's good, right? But number three, because you're short, and this is something that I, that I know, I feel this. I can relate to this. Since you know that you're short, you, you gotta sort of accommodate that. You gotta sort of do something about that. You have to be innovative, and you have to be assertive. That's what Zacchaeus did. He was innovative, and he was assertive. He ran ahead of the crowds, and he climbed the sycamore fig tree. So that is one of those things that we sort of miss out on when we're so familiar with the, with the story that we've heard since we were kids, and then now we're, lear- we're learning about it in a sermon, and we're thinking, oh, it's different. But here's more. Back then, right, when we learned this story as a kid, when we sing the song, we don't understand the impact of getting ahead of the crowds, and climbing a sycamore fig tree for an adult tax collector like Zacchaeus. Those things are outside of his comfort zone. As a tax collector, you guys know what a tax collector is, right? We're going to talk more about that later. But tax collectors back then in the time of Jesus, they were outcasts in society. They were lumped together in the same place as prostitutes, and murderers and robbers. They want to make themselves scarce in the eyes of people. 
They don't want to stand out. But running ahead of the crowds is something that would make him stand out. Hey, look, Zacchaeus, he's running. That was not good for him. And climbing up a tree is not something that adults back then did. Maybe the kids, yes, but not adults. Because you know what they wore back then. That would expose themselves like from people looking up. Not good. That's not a good thing for adults to do. So what we need to understand is we need to appreciate the heart of Zacchaeus for Jesus. That he was willing to forego. He was willing to ignore what people were to say about him in his pursuit of Jesus. Now let's apply that to ourselves this morning. How about us today? What are we doing to be with Jesus today? What are we doing to have a glimpse of the glory of Jesus today? Are we prepared to ignore the names that people would be calling us to be with Jesus today? Knowing that year after year, Christianity is going on a decline. That year after year, people are having less and less of an interest of the value of Jesus in their lives. What are we prepared to do to be with Jesus today? Do we, we want to be like Zacchaeus. We want to say, Jesus, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be with you today. It doesn't matter if it makes me look bad. It doesn't matter if it makes me look bad in front of my friends, in front of my neighbors, in front of my coworkers, in front of my family and friends. It's important that our heart for Jesus is like Zacchaeus because it talks, it, it tells Jesus about our heart for him, about our love for him. In fact, let's look at this particular verse. John 14, 21. When we have this heart for Jesus, this is what happens. He who loves me, this is from Jesus himself. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. Look at what Jesus is going to do. Look at the relationship that Jesus seeks with us if we are just willing to get out of our comfort zones and be with him. But that's in verse 21. Look at verse 23 of John 14. Jesus takes it up a notch and he makes it even more personal. Look at this. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And he and we will come to him and make our home with him. What does Jesus say to Zacchaeus when he got to the point where Zacchaeus was on the road? He acknowledged Zacchaeus. He didn't just notice him. He didn't just go, oh, somebody's there. Cool. And then went on his way. He, he saw Zacchaeus was there. And he said, he called him by his first name. Zacchaeus, come down from there. This is the first time that Jesus was meeting him. Can you imagine if you were Zacchaeus? This guy knows my name. The person that is coming, the, 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 the super popular guy that's coming here knows who I am. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. 
I am going to be a visitor today in your house. Today, I am going to make my home with you. Let that sink in for a second. Think about that. Jesus wants a relationship with you, with me. But the question is, how much are we willing to pursue that relationship? How much? Will we do whatever it takes to be with Jesus? That's the question. And he promises us this, okay? I'm not making this up. This is something that we see in scripture. James 4 verse 8. Come near to God. You know what he's going to do? He's going to come near to you. Do whatever it takes to see Jesus. The second thing that we learn from the story of Zacchaeus is this. Acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That is what Zacchaeus did when Jesus told him, Zacchaeus, come down there. Today, I'm going to be a guest in your house. Zacchaeus came down quickly, welcomed him, said, yeah. Sure, yes, definitely, I'll put you up. We will be in my house. We will eat the best food, whatever. Because he was rich, right? We saw, we saw that in, the, in, the, in the, the account. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. But then he called Jesus Lord. He acknowledged Jesus as his Lord. Now, the question is this. What does it mean when we confess or acknowledge Jesus as Lord? What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus is the master, the ruler, the big boss of our entire life. The first thing, there's two things that we can really say about this. When we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, the first thing that we need to remember is that we're saying to Jesus, I will obey you. It's about obedience. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6 verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not, to, not do the things which I say? So if I say that Jesus is my Lord, but I want to do the things that I want to do, not what he wants me to do, essentially I'm saying I actually don't want to be with him. I don't want to do whatever it takes to be with Jesus because I don't acknowledge him as Lord. You know what I'm doing? I am acknowledging me as Lord over my life. That's what I'm doing. Secondly, when we say that we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, okay, apart from obedience, we're telling Jesus, I surrender my life to you completely and utterly. It's about obedience and surrender. Okay. First um, Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? When we say that he is now our Lord, we're saying, I do not belong to me anymore. I now belong to him. So everything that I have, I surrender to him. Now let's continue. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are bought, we have been bought at a price by Jesus. He is our Lord and Savior. 
But here's the thing. Because He is our Lord, we give our body and our spirit to Him. To Him. He is Lord of things that are seen and things that are unseen in my life. He is Lord of the things that are public, the things that I do with people, that people can see. And He is Lord of things that are private, that people do not know about me or do not see on a daily basis about me. When I am outside, He is my Lord In the comfort of my own house, in my own bedroom, in my own office at home, He is also Lord. That's what it means. But this is what Zacchaeus did. He replied to Jesus. When he came down from that tree, he said something to Jesus that demonstrated the transformation that has occurred in his heart for Jesus. In Luke 19, verse 8, we read, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. There's obedience in there. Obedience, because where does he get the four times the amount? You know where he gets that from? Zacchaeus was a Jewish man who knew Jewish law. In Exodus 22 verse 1, we see in there, there's a provision in the law that says, if you stole from somebody, you have to repay it four times. Obedience. And we see surrender in there. Because we see that Zacchaeus was giving to Jesus the number one problem, the number one struggle that he had in following him. And that number one struggle was that he extorted people out of their money as a tax collector. And he said, I don't want to do that anymore. Here is this person who moments later was an extortionist. He took things away from people with violence and all negative connotations that come with it. Essentially, he stole from people. And now, because he met Jesus, he wants to give and give and give as, generous, as, as generously as possible. Change. He acknowledged Jesus as his Lord and Savior because... He wanted to obey Jesus, and he wanted to surrender his life to Jesus. But how about us here today? How are we with our obedience to Jesus? What are the things that is hard for us to give to him that we still keep on doing that we know is not good? Today, we need to give that over to Jesus. Because we will not have a relationship with him without that. Are there things in this life that you have, we have right now that you're struggling with that is hard for you to hand over to Jesus? For Zacchaeus, it's cheating people out of their money. How about you today? What is it that you need to hand over to Jesus today? Whatever it is, I encourage all of us today, let's hand it over to him. 
let us acknowledge him as Lord of our lives today. Now, finally, finally, the last thing that we learn from the story of Zacchaeus is that no one is beyond saving. The thing that's really a problem for Zacchaeus was that he was a tax collector. Now, what is a tax collector and what is the impact of that in the society that Zacchaeus lived in at the time? So we've heard about tax collectors. I think in scripture, Jesus encountered tax collectors, I think, six times. But all of them were like positive interactions, including Zacchaeus' interaction. But tax collectors were looked down upon in the time of Jesus. Like I said earlier, they were lumped as one of the outcasts of society. If you're a self-respecting Jew, you would not want to hang out with a tax collector, let alone eat with them. Okay? Because back then, Israel was under Roman rule. We all, we, we were all familiar with this. So since Israel was under Roman rule, they had to pay taxes to Caesar, to the Roman emperor. And at the time, it was Tiberius. At the time of Jesus, his name was Tiberius. Tiberius Caesar. You paid taxes to him if you're, if you're a colony or a territory that belongs to Rome. So the question is, how did Rome tax people back then? So what they did was Rome set up tax franchises. So what it was is Rome had territories and colonies, like, for example, uh, provinces that they own. And what they did was they set a price on them for business people to pay for and bid. And if the person who pays that price, for example, Judea or Samaria or Galilee or Idumea, whatever, if I'm a businessman and I said, hey, I want tax rights, I want the rights to collect taxes in Judea, or Jericho, whatever, you paid the amount that the tax that the Roman government has set for that place. If you pay that price, you get the rights to collect taxes there. That's what happens. So you can do whatever you want to do. You pay Tiberius this amount of money. Say, for example, you pay him like $20,000. But you have the right to collect way more than that. In Jericho or Judea, whatever, wherever. It's like a good recipe for corruption. Right? So, at the time, the taxes that we paid for, uh, the, the taxes we paid for today was not the same as the tax that they paid for back then. Back then, when you pay taxes, you know it's not going back to the community. It's not going to go back to education, to healthcare, or any social service. It goes straight to the politicians and the judges. There's no recourse for you. The Jewish people knew that they were paying their oppressors to oppress them when they pay their taxes. And back then, you paid taxes on everything. The tax collectors, so these business people would employ tax collectors. But we see that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Maybe he was one of the people that paid Rome, like that thing, the money to charge taxes in Jericho. And he employed tax collectors to work for him. He was rich. You see this? But the thing is, you get taxed on everything. You get taxed on the foods and goods that were sold and bought. You were taxed 
for commerce. Like if you have a cart, they could t- charge you taxes on each wheel. They could t- charge you taxes on uh, on each animal that was uh, pulling your cart. And they could charge you taxes here. And when you're all the way down there, maybe, I don't know, 100 kilometers from there, somebody else could tax you and you would not have a recourse. You would have to pay because you know what? The tax collectors were backed by the Roman government. Many times these tax tax collectors, when they collect taxes, they had Roman soldiers with them as muscle. Can't do anything. So what did the Jewish people have as a recourse? They can't do anything about the tax. They can't do anything about tax collectors. What they could do is one thing. They could ostracize tax collectors. They could um, label them as one of the outcasts of society, which they did. Rabbis taught the people of Israel that tax collectors were the same as murderers and prostitutes and robbers. Rabbis taught the, the people of Israel that tax collectors were, uh, were, disgra- were the disgrace of the family. That if you're a self-respecting Jew, you will not be in association with any tax collectors. Because if you think about it, if somebody's desire or goal in life or ambition in life is to be a tax collector, there's something wrong about their heart. Because if you're a Jewish person who wants to be a tax collector, it means that you know the word of God, but you're ignoring the word of God that says you cannot defraud people, you cannot harass people, and you cannot you know, like extort people out of their money. Right off the bat, you don't have that as a tax collector. But in our story today, we know that Zacchaeus was not beyond saving. In fact, this is what the people said back then. When Jesus told them, come down, I'm going to be a guest in your house. People were like, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? But we know the transformation that has occurred in his heart, in the heart of Zacchaeus. Look at what Jesus told him. Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The rabbis lumped tax collectors together with the murderers and robbers and prostitutes. But Jesus lumped Zacchaeus, a changed man who was also a tax collector, in the same place as the rest of the good Jewish people, as a son of Abraham. But what I love about this story and how Je- is how Jesus concluded his time with Zacchaeus. Look at Luke chapter 19, chapter 19, verse 10, the one after this. This is how he concluded his time with Zacchaeus. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, this is the first dad joke that, G, that, that, that Jacob, my, my oldest son, told me. He told me, Dad, I think he was like, Four or five at the time said, Dad, why is Jesus rich? Why is Jesus rich? Because he saves. Did you guys get it? 
according to this verse, Jesus does not only save. He seeks. He's looking for people who are lost. He's looking for you. He's looking for you. Jesus wants us to know that there is a relationship waiting for us in this. He wants us to know that when we change our heart for Him and we do whatever it takes to be with Him, that when we acknowledge Him as our Lord, then He promises that there is no one, not even you, is beyond saving. This morning, our closing song is is an amazing song. It's also an invitation song, you see, because the song asks a question. I think that's the title of the song. It's called, What Will You Do With Jesus? Jesus came to Jericho, and that question was asked of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, what will you do with Jesus? We know what Zacchaeus did. He did whatever it took to see him. He acknowledged him as Lord and he was saved. He realized that he was not beyond saving. Today, I want us to ask that question to ourselves. What will you do with Jesus? Because neutral, we cannot be. As we stand and sing, I want you, if you're, if you're looking to put Jesus on in baptism to be with him today, we can do that here. We have a baptistry here waiting for you. But if you want to ask questions, if you are, if you want to ask questions of what, how, when, why, please, you can come forward as well. What I'm going to do while we sing is I'm going to stand right there. I'll be here to wait for you as you come forward. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.